I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20 in the NIV version. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Thank you, Jordan. Hello, everyone. Um, My name's Janelle. I'm the worship pastor here. Um, I'll just set myself up with a stand. And is my mic working, guys? Oh, beautiful. So one of the things that I love to do as a result of um, having done it when I was young growing up is go deep sea fishing. And um, I grew up in North Queensland and um, my dad used to take us out quite often. So... um, we needed to do certain things in order to stay safe while we were fishing. Um, so we'd slip, slop, slap to protect ourselves from the sun. And um, we had to watch out for fish hooks and knives, things like that. And then um, a very extreme example is when Dad first started taking my brother out, way out 70 miles off from the mainland, We used to have sharks come up and take the fish before we could actually get them over the side of the boat. So Dad, because Barry was still young, he used to tie a rope around his waist and tie him to the boat so that he couldn't go overboard. So just as... um, just as we need to do things to um, protect ourselves when we're fishing, Tonight we're talking about spiritual warfare and the passage that Jordan has just read for us so beautifully is the Apostle Paul telling the Ephesian Christians um, about measures that they need to take to keep their minds safe in spiritual warfare. Some Christians are over-preoccupied with thinking about Satan and the spiritual realms. At the opposite extreme to this are Christians who don't think about Satan or the spiritual realms at all. I believe that God wants us to have a healthy awareness of the spiritual realms and the devil's schemes, but not to be either too over-preoccupied or not thinking about them and ignoring them altogether. He wants us to be aware 
and to be equipped so that we can fight the right kind of fight in our thinking. This letter was written by Paul to the Christians in Ephesus and it was probably taken to Christians in other parts of Asia as well. Occult practices were very, very prevalent in Ephesus when Paul wrote this letter. So he knew that by using Roman armour and warfare as an illustration that the Christians in Ephesus would very easily be able to identify with it. We're going to be looking at three things tonight. Who are we fighting in our thinking? What are we fighting? And how do we fight? Who are we fighting? And we see the answer to this in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is saying here that there is something beyond the flesh and blood evil we can see that is more than merely, than merely human and natural. Until we recognise this spiritual dimension of evil in the world, we will not be able to understand its depth or pervasiveness. Our modern Western world has trouble with this. It says that everything has a natural cause. Therefore, everything has a scientific explanation. The cause might be sociological, something to do with our society, psychological, biological, or some other natural cause. But our modern Western world says, we can figure it out, we can fix it. While these things are very real, and they do interact and contribute to the struggles that we face, I think the one thing our society tends to ignore or deny is the spiritual aspect. Yet when we really honestly examine the condition of the human heart, when we realise our pride and think about the atrocities that human beings are capable of when we look back through history, it becomes harder and harder to accept that the cause of all evil is merely natural. The Bible says that evil was caused by two races of beings, humans and angels, exercising their free will to choose evil. The devil and his demons are the angels who exercise their free will to choose evil. They are personal, supernatural beings. And humans also exercise their free will to choose evil. Like India said last week, damn Eve. <laughs> so Christianity says that while sociological, psychological and other factors from the natural realm can aggravate this innate self-centeredness that we find in the human condition, they're not the inherent cause of it. The inherent cause of evil is the devil in the spiritual realms. He is who we are fighting. What are we fighting? And we're going to go to verse 11 in the passage. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
so we're fighting the devil's schemes. He wants Christians to give up on God. He'll try and influence us to do this in a number of ways. C.S. Lewis says in the introduction of his book called The Screwtape Letters, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our human race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So what I was saying in the beginning there, they, the devils themselves, are equally pleased by both errors. So C.S. Lewis is saying that Satan and the other devils are pleased with us either focusing excessively on them or ignoring them altogether. Why would this be? A Christian whose mind is overly preoccupied with Satan is not going to have as much room in their thought life to focus on God. There's probably a lot of fear going on in their mind, a lot of worry about what bad things might happen, and so they're feeding their minds on these dark things that Satan wants them to, rather than things of the light. Like Tim was talking to us a few weeks ago in Philippians 4 verse 8. Remember, um, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy, think on these things. These are the things we think on where we're thinking in the light. So Satan is pleased with Christians being over-preoccupied with himself instead of thinking on these things. And he's pleased with those who don't think about him at all because they're like children playing with matches. He can influence them to think however he likes and they're not even aware that he's doing it. When our thoughts are in the natural realm only, we're preoccupied with what our society is influencing us to believe and to think about. In our Western culture, that might be the pursuit of um, a high education, wealth or other endeavours to impress other people. So Satan is achieving his overall purpose with a, with a person whose thinking is too extreme in either of these ways. Now we're going to think about Satan's tactics. Satan is a liar. Jesus calls him the father of lies in the book of John. He plays on what is already in our minds to aggravate it and make it worse through lies. He doesn't necessarily talk to us through an audible voice, but he stimulates the talk that's already going on in our hearts. And he does this in two ways, two main ways, through temptation and accusation. There's a book written by Thomas Brooks in the 17th century called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And in this book, um, Brooks gives examples of Satan working through temptation and accusation. One of his examples of Satan working through temptation is this. He'll show you the hook. Sorry. He'll show you the bait, but not the hook. Meaning, he'll show you the short-term pleasures of something, 
but not the long-term consequences. One of the examples in Brooks's book of how Satan works through accusation is this. He'll make you think your troubles are happening because you're being punished for something. Do they sound familiar? We've all had these sort of thoughts, haven't we? So we've looked at who we are fighting, the devil in the spiritual realms, and what are we fighting, the devil's schemes, how do we fight? The key in how we fight, I believe, is found right at the start of the passage, verse 10. Because this is where Paul talks about our motivation for fighting. Verses 13 to 18 talk about what we do, but verse 10 um, gives us the whole key in winning this spiritual battle that we're in. It says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We fight in complete dependence on Jesus and his power. Just like we're saved by depending only on Jesus and his power, this is how we live out our thought lives day by day, by depending only on Jesus and his power. This changes everything in regard to the remaining verses of our passage. I'll let you into a little secret that isn't a secret at all. We can't actually do anything. We're dependent on God to take our next breath. It's when we realise this that our doing for him is enabled by him. In regard to the weapons that we fight with, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the natural world. Oh, I've got natural in brackets there. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. In 1 John, we read, The one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in us, the Holy Spirit, is greater than the devil, Satan and all of his demons who are in the world. There's no need for us to be afraid of Satan because we are fighting from a position of strength. Jesus won this war for us at his resurrection. This instruction from Paul about putting on God's armour is just telling us how to stand while we wait for Jesus' return when the war will finally be consummated and Satan overthrown for all time. How does each piece of armour protect us in our thought lives? There are six pieces and also prayer that Paul talks about in the remainder of the passage. They're the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, readiness to spread the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The belt of truth. Luke, one of our pastors here, who's also an army chaplain, let me know the other day that the belt in Roman armour was the thing that the breastplate and the sword were actually attached to. 
So the breastplate and the sword were dependent on the belt to keep them in place. So the truth is um, something that the other pieces of armour are dependent upon. What is truth? It's what God tells us in his word about who he is, the world and his purposes in it, about Jesus who died to save sinners, the inheritance that becomes ours when we receive eternal life from him, when we ask him into our lives as our saviour. All of these truths directly confront Satan's lies that he wants us to believe. So we wear the belt of truth to saturate ourselves, sorry, to wear the belt of truth is to saturate ourselves in God's word so that it becomes a part of us. And we instinctively know the truth in different situations that we face as a result of having been saturated in God's word through reading it as often as we can get a hold of it. Righteousness. Have the breastplate of righteousness in place. Verse 14. The breastplate in Roman armour protects the heart. Righteousness here means being right with God. So Paul is saying that our hearts are protected by knowing that we are right with God. How do we know this? We believe that Jesus fully paid for all of our sin at the cross. Readiness comes from the gospel of peace. This readiness means being willing to share the gospel, but it also means that we need to be ready to do whatever God asks of us with our lives. We're talking about a heart attitude here. Our hearts need to be fully yielded to our Father each and every day, and we need to be willing to do and be whatever he asks of us. We see a beautiful illustration of this in Amy Carmichael, who was a Christian missionary in India in the early 1900s. She was a missionary there for 53 years. In 1919, she was awarded a medal for her services to the people of India. Her first reaction was to refuse it because Jesus had been despised and rejected and why should she expect anything better? Towards the end of her life, she wrote, It is a safe thing to trust God to fulfil the desire that he creates. And that quote there from Eric Sharp, he wrote a biography called The Legacy of Amy Carmichael and this is what he said, Amy's life of obedience and courage stands as a model for all who claim the name of Christ. She was a woman with desires and dreams, faults and fears, who gave her life unconditionally to serve him. So fitting our feet with the readiness to spread the gospel of peace means being willing to do whatever God asks of us. It might not be serving on a mission field overseas. It might be hopping up for an old lady on the train on the way home from work. It does mean 
just having that hard attitude that, yes, Father, do whatever you want with me, and that willingness to obey him no matter what. The shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield in Roman armour can be moved around to protect the body from attack from any direction. Paul is depicting Satan's um, attacks as fiery arrows that need to be deflected by faith in order for us to be protected. What is faith? Hebrews 11 says that it's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So to take up the shield of faith is to trust God whenever we're tempted or accused. In battle, shields are used in unison. They work most effectively if the whole army holds them up in alignment to prevent themselves and one another from attack by the enemy. So we come alongside one another also to support each other with our faith when it's needed. And the helmet of salvation, our fifth piece, the helmet protects the mind, brain, brain, mind. Satan's target is our minds and his weapon is lies. He wants to make us doubt God. He'll use all manner of lies to try and cause us to doubt that our Father exists or that we are his children. Romans 10.9 says that if we declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we are saved. For those who've done this, we have the assurance that we are saved from our sin and from God's judgment. And this assurance protects our minds. <laughs> Good on your toes. The sixth piece, the sword of the spirit or the word of God. The sword is the only offensive weapon that's in the whole armour. So all of the other pieces are used to deflect attacks from the enemy, but with the sword, we can go on the attack. Paul says that this sword is the word of God. There is tremendous power available to us in claiming the promises of God that he gives us in his word. Just like India was telling us last week, one of her favourite verses, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit and God's word, the Bible, are inextricably linked. Jesus himself gives us a perfect example of wielding this sword. In Matthew 4, when he was taken into the wilderness immediately following his baptism, he quoted the written word to launch a counter-attack against every fiery arrow that Satan threw at him. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. Satan said to him, command those stones to turn into bread. If you're God's son, Jesus counter-attacked 
by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3 from the Old Testament. He said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. After Satan had another go, he launched his final piece de resistance. He said, Here, Jesus took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, You worship me and I'll give you the lot. Jesus responds with a full-on counter-attack. He says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship no other gods but me. So we wield the sword like this by declaring or claiming God's promises over our lives. So after telling them to put on all six pieces of armour, Paul tells them the last thing needed in these last verses, verses 18 to 20, in how to fight. He says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, I'll be able to declare the word with boldness. Praying in the Spirit means pray as the Holy Spirit leads you to, which means pray about anything you think about. Just include Jesus in your everyday life. The underlying principle here is that we're doing all of life with him rather than by ourselves apart from him. And the other underlying principle that we see here in verses 19 and 20 is that as his children, we need one another. The Apostle Paul was one of the most fearless proclaimers of the gospel that I can see in the whole Bible after, his, um, after he became saved. Um, so it's a real surprise to me to see him asking his Christian brothers and sisters to pray that he will be able to be fearless. Men never get sent to war alone. We all need someone who is like-minded with the same mission, protecting our backs. That's one of the reasons why we come to church on Sundays, to prayer and worship Mondays, to youth group Friday nights, to work together to tell others about Jesus and why we pray for each other when we're not together physically. Because we need one another. It's the way that God designed us. So how do we fight? We trust in Jesus' mighty power, we put on the armour and we pray for each other. Two people have been saved here on Sunday nights in the last three weeks. Two brand new Christians. 120 people were at youth group again on Friday night. God is manifesting his power in this place and Satan doesn't like it. In a minute, I'm going to pray. Then we're going to sing a song called The Lion and the Lamb. The chorus of this song says, Our God is a lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Let's sing this together as our commitment to be strong in Jesus 
and in his mighty power. If you'd like prayer for anything, or if you want to become a Christian, please come to the front over this side here tonight and um, as we sing this last song. So I'll just pray and then we'll sing together. Let's pray. Father, we declare that you are greater than Satan. Thank you for the armour you've given to those who entrust their lives to you. Please remind us, Father, and help us each day to put on this armour, to live with an attitude of prayer, and to support one another in the strength that you give us. In Jesus' name we're asking this, Lord. Amen.